Hello, and welcome to Sharing Real Hope. My name is Mike Hall. No one in their right mind wants to suffer. I think that's a safe statement to make. I believe that most would agree with me on that. But the other side of that coin is it is going to happen at some level. For some, it may be light suffering. For others, it could be much deeper. The suffering could be much deeper. Suffering happens in many different forms, but one of them that's being addressed here in 1 Peter, as we're studying through 1 Peter, is suffering for the cause of Christ, suffering for the gospel. Jesus, on the night that he died, said to his disciples in John chapter 16, in the world you will have trouble, you will have suffering, you will have persecution. There will be people that misunderstand you, people that uh, don't like you because you do follow Jesus Christ. And in the most extreme cases, and there are many, many hundreds of thousands of them around the world, in the most extreme cases, you will suffer physically and even potentially die a martyr's death. So many, many people are dying a martyr's death around the world because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Suffering happens. But, speaking of suffering, the supreme example is Jesus. Now, on the last podcast, we talked about the need to be prepared, to be prepared for suffering in verses 13 to 15 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, now we come, and then, and then verse 16, we, we talked about the importance of keeping a good conscience and doing the right thing and not suffering for the wrong thing. Uh, we come to verse 18 in today's study. And verse 18 is a beautiful verse, and it is just packed with some amazing truth. Here's what it says. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. You see, here is the supreme example of one that suffered. Christ also died, the Word of God says. And it says that he died for sins. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 reminds us of the fact that... uh, in Adam, in Adam, all have sinned. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, uh, their fallen nature was passed on to their children and to their children all the way down to this moment. So when you were born, you were born with a fallen nature, with a sinful nature. And you and I sin because we have a sinful nature. And, and we are responsible for our sins. Adam didn't make us do it. Satan doesn't make us do it. We choose to sin. Every last one of us all have sinned. And fallen short of the mark of God's glory is the conclusion that Paul comes to in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Uh, He reminds us that there is none righteous, no, not one. That includes every human being that's ever walked the face of this earth other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 6, the first part of verse 23, it says, The wages of sin is death. Death is separation. 
Uh, and, and it's at several different levels. There's physical death where the body and the soul separate. And we all are very familiar with physical death. There's spiritual death. And that is we were all born spiritually dead, separated from God in our sins. And, and uh, then there is eternal death. And that is uh, eternal separation from God because of our sins. And there is only one way to remedy that. And that's what we're talking about here. So Jesus died. Death had to occur. Separation from God had to occur because of sin. And it was because of our sins that Jesus died. Jesus suffered. Jesus died. And it says he died for sins once for all. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 24 through uh, 26 say this. Hebrews nine twenty four through 26. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands. In other words, the earthly tabernacle, which is a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. So every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go once a year uh, into the presence of God in the earthly tabernacle. Verse 26 says, Otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so Jesus died once. And what this passage is referring to is back in the Old Testament, under the law, animals were slain one after another after another, year after year. And they were simply pointing to the ultimate sacrifice that would come. They were shadows of the real thing. They were types of the real thing. And the real thing was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He died once once for all, and that one death, that one sacrifice, paid in full the righteous demand of God uh, for our sin. Sin brings the consequence of death. Jesus' death was totally adequate to pay for the sins of those who believe. And then it goes on to say, the just for the unjust. The just for the unjust. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 uh, is, is a wonderful verse. And uh, it says this in Hebrews four fifteen: For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Without sin. And so our Lord Jesus is sinless. When he died for sin, he wasn't dying for his own sin because he had none. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is perfect. He was not born with a sinful nature because Joseph was not his father. He was born of a virgin and, and the seed was planted uh, supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. He was born of divine seed. No sinful nature and never committed a sin. The only human being that ever walked the face of this earth to, to never have committed a sin. He is the just one who died for the unjust. Now, you talk about suffering, and you talk about uh, the innocent suffering. You talk about an innocent person who does not deserve to suffer, and, and he's the only one. And yet, he voluntarily suffered and died for our sins. The just for the unjust. And I like the next 
phrase. It says, so that he might bring us to God. So that he might bring us to God. The deal is this. He did all that for you and for me so that those of us that were alienated, separated from God, we were enemies of God. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, and, and, and I'm going to turn there and read that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, speaking of us Gentiles, but all sinners as well. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might, listen, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it, the cross, having put to death the enmity." Aren't you glad of that? And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. You see, we, because of Jesus' death, are no longer separated. We are no longer separated from God. Uh, we are reconciled to God. And the rest of that verse says he was um, put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He died, humanly speaking. His body died, but his divine spirit lived on. And in verse 19, we see what happened there. It says in, ver in verse 19, um, in which, in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now that's a lot of uh, verbiage there, but basically what it's saying is this. Between his death and his resurrection, Jesus went to the abode of the demonic spirits. And, and these were the demonic spirits that were running wild during Noah's time. Noah preached and built an ark for 120 years, and only eight people got into that ark and were saved from the judgment of God. And those eight people were family members out of the hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people that lived on the earth at that time. The demonic spirits were so active and so nasty that when the flood came and the judgment came on those people, God imprisoned those demonic spirits uh, until their final judgment. And... Um, and, and, and so Jesus went to th where they were and he proclaimed victory to them. He proclaimed victory. His death on the cross was not a defeat. It was victory. Victory for us. And he went there to make proclamation to, to the spirits in prison. Then verse, verse 21 says, corresponding to that, to that whole scenario of, of Noah, and those that were saved, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt, dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. There again, very much verbiage, but basically it says, it's saying, it said, uh, corresponding to that, to, uh, in other words, relating to this whole thing about Noah, 
And the eight people that were saved in the ark, now we are saved from judgment in the ark of Jesus. In Jesus' work on the cross. And it says, baptism now saves you. That means identification with Jesus and his work on the cross. It is not the removal of dirt from the flesh. In other words, it's not water baptism. And here, you've got to understand that you interpret scripture with scripture. And there's nowhere in scripture that teaches that there's anything that we do apart from believing on the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. It is not of works. Water baptism would be something that we do. It is not water baptism that is being referred to when it says baptism now saves you, but rather baptism is uh, identification with Jesus Christ who is now exalted at the right hand of God. He is the exalted, risen, authoritative Christ. Well, I'm going to take time on the very next podcast to talk something about uh, how to understand these tough passages of Scripture. Uh, because uh, there are passages like that that if you read them on their face and you don't understand them, they could, you could uh, misinterpret them, and we don't want to do that. And so, until the next podcast, God bless. Thank you for listening to this edition of Sharing Real Hope. We hope that you were encouraged in your walk with Christ by what you heard. Please take a moment to email us with your questions, prayer requests, and comments. Our email address is sharingrealhope at gmail.com. Again, that's sharingrealhope at gmail.com. Or you can visit our website at sharingrealhope.org. Until next time, keep living in and sharing real hope.